time to turn our attention to headlines out of China. This week, we're going to be talking about U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's upcoming visit to Beijing, as well as China's new foreign affairs law. We'll get some analysis right now from Dr. O.A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Dr. O, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon, indeed. Uh, nice to talk to all of you again. <laughs> yeah, and we've got quite a few headlines to talk about, interesting ones as well. Uh, let's start off with the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who is set to visit Beijing from July the 6th to July the 9th. This comes a couple of weeks after the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken visited Beijing as well. Um, Dr. O, what is her agenda where this uh, where this meeting is concerned, it, it, could it possibly help to stabilize ties between the U.S. and China? Well, I, I think it's not so much uh, to stabilize uh, the diplomatic ties. Uh, that will be the job of uh, Anthony Blinken. But, uh, well, financially, the U.S. and China being two of the world's uh, largest uh, economies uh, would have to well, somewhat have a channel for communications, right? Mm. For example, their monetary policy, their fiscal policies, and so on. There needs to be some form or some degree of coordinations, for example. So I think Janet uh, Yellen would be trying to uh, re-establish uh, such channels of uh, communications here. Okay. Uh, Doctor, I'm just picking up on some words that have been used in news reports in the press, right? And one of it in particular is saying that this visit is considered a long-anticipated trip. So what was the push factor here? What took? What did it take You know, Ms. Yellen as well as the United States to make this happen? Well, it had to uh, sort of follow uh, Anthony Blinken's uh, trip and not before and uh, Anthony Blinken was supposed to go to China in uh, February, but yeah. was delayed by the balloon incident. So similarly, uh, Yellen's trip uh, was uh, delayed in, in, in that sense. I think uh, from the U.S. side, there's one other uh, matter, I think, which, uh, at least from a U.S. perspective, is very important, and that is the treatment of uh, American business persons as well as investors uh, in China because recently there are a number of them uh, who were being uh, co-opted by the Chinese authorities uh, for uh, allegations which the U.S. side uh, consider uh, to, be, uh, to, to be made up, or at least from a U.S. perspective. So I think uh, those... Uh, uh, matters would also be part of the discussion here. Okay, um, let's let's flip the question then, Doctor O. Can we expect China to perhaps, you know, after this, send their own officials to the United States, sort of uh, reciprocate efforts? Eventually, China will have to uh, reciprocate, right? Yeah. But I think at this point, the Chinese uh, diplomatic uh, stance uh, is still uh, very uh, tough and very hard. Namely, uh, from the Chinese perspective, they see the U.S. being uh, sort of uh, encroaching on Chinese sovereignty, on Taiwan matters and so on. And from the Chinese perspective, uh, all these are uh, sort of uh, linked together. Unlike uh, from a U.S. perspective, you know, you talk about finance matters, you talk about diplomatic matters separately. Mm. But for the Chinese, I think they are all lumped together. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, Dr. Oh, let's move on to talk about China's new foreign affairs law, a law that took effect from the 1st of July. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Basically, you know, what is China's new law on foreign relations? 
Well, I think it uh, encapsulates uh, and uh, sort of crystallizes uh, what has been some of China's uh, diplomatic and foreign affairs practices over the last few uh, years. Mm. For example, I think it has provisions for so-called countermeasures Again, foreign encroachment, uh, foreign violation of sovereignty, foreign imposition of uh, sanctions and so on. But what exactly are these countermeasures? We don't know yet. Okay. But more importantly, I think uh, it spells out quite explicitly that uh, the policy-making body of China's uh, foreign policy it's uh, perhaps not quite the foreign uh, affairs ministry, but rather the uh, foreign affairs leading group within the Communist Party of China. I think that, uh, of course, uh, would be seen as a consolidation of a hold over foreign affairs by President Xi. Yeah. Right. One can't help but wonder if this is in a bit of response you know, to to Western sanctions, you know, uh, does it talk about, you know, lending aid to foreign countries as well? Is this is this something worth uh, looking at? Well, that's, uh, from, I think, at least uh, from the receiving end of uh, China's uh, foreign aid, uh, that uh, perhaps is uh, somewhat of a good news because okay. it uh, explicitly says, uh, you know, when you are providing foreign aid to other countries, you should not interfere with mm. their... Uh, domestic affairs and so on. Yeah. I think a number of uh, developing countries would like that quite quite well. Yeah, yeah that's that's like an ideal world, right? I help you, but don't ask yeah. me any questions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, it is one of those things. Dr. Oh, uh, let's talk about China's uh, natural gas shopping spree. Uh, why are they doing such a thing right now? I mean, buying a lot of, of natural gases, what, what is this supposed to signal? Well, I, I think uh, on the short term, there is indeed a shortage of uh, energy uh, within China. You may remember, I think, during our conversations over the past few months yep. or, or so, sometimes uh, you know some of the factories were to shut down because uh, they, there was a lack of electricity supply and so on. Okay. So, well, so in that sense, uh, it's uh, not. Uh, unusual for China to try to buy up uh, as much um, energy, in, or in this case, in the form of natural gas yeah. as they could. But I think there, there is also a more medium to long-term uh, strategy here because of this U.S.-China confrontation. China is uh, rather concerned about its uh, long-term energy security, oh. and it would like to, uh, number one, lock up uh, as many of these natural gas uh, supply contracts mm. uh, as possible on the one hand. And on the other hand, uh, if you could import those uh, natural gas now and you stock it up in yeah. your own facilities, I think for them, it's sort of a strategic reserve of energy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just avoid the mm-hmm. repeat of those shortages previously, right? Okay. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Dr. Oh, uh, just a final issue. Uh, now, according to former U.S. Trade and Treasury official Brad Setzer, uh, China has $3 trillion of hidden currency reserves. Interesting. I mean, what's the basis of these claims? How, how true is what Mr. Setzer is saying? Well, I think he made some calculations. And, and China's official foreign exchange reserve, it's indeed around $3 trillion US dollars or so. But uh, Mr. Setzer uh, alleges that uh, China has another reserve. And if that is true, then, uh, well, renting bill would be quite strong because uh, 
if you have a lot of foreign reserve, uh, then your uh, currency, when measuring up against the U.S. dollars, uh, could uh, usually be well quite strong. So, mm. and, and that perhaps uh, gives the uh, impetus to China yeah. about, uh, for example, uh, renminbi one day possibly replacing the U.S. dollars as the world's uh, major trading currency and so on. Yeah, yeah some science fiction novels have said that as well. But uh, just <laughs> this is where I, I get a little bit uh, sensitive mm-hmm. as far as questioning goes, uh, Dr. O. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. lack of transparency that obviously is being accused, I would put it that way, is that a problem mm-hmm. for the rest of the world where China is concerned? When they when they view this lack of transparency, is that is that really one of the driving factors where you need all these high officials meeting and talking and trying to establish better diplomatic ties? So what's your opinion of this? Well, it's uh, different ways of looking at things, okay. right? Uh, okay. From the mainstream of, uh, the, shall we say, the international financial uh, community, countries should sort of uh, have as much transparency as possible when it comes to their monetary, financial, fiscal policies, and so on. But from the Chinese perspective, as I said, everything is lumped together and is linked to national security. And from a Chinese perspective, uh, sort of keep something up their sleeves uh, and, and, you know, not revealing it until the very last mm. moment and so on. For them, I think that's part of their strategy uh, for safeguarding from their perspective, their national security. Mm. So it's a different perspective of uh, how you see the worldwide financial system, how you run your country, and so on. Yeah. Oh, that, that is a very good point, and definitely something worth considering mm-hmm. as well. We've been speaking with Dr. Mm-hmm. O. A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. As always, Dr. O, I appreciate your time. Take care and have a great Tuesday evening. Well, thank you. Nice to talk to all of you again. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.